and welcome to another episode of Radio Zaddy with me, Hannah Bestwick, and as always, the wonderful and talented... Daisy Thurston-Gent. Daisy Thurston-Gent. How are you doing? I think it's, it definitely is better when you preface my title as talented and wonderful <laughs> rather than uh, myself. Uh, I was thinking that as you were saying it, I was like, it's quite fun because I'm, I set you up to mm. admit that you are talented and wonderful because I'm like the talented and wonderful and I point at you <laughs> and you're like oh that's me that's me <laughs> that's me somebody thinks I'm talented and wonderful exactly uh, for the record Hannah Bestwick is also talented and wonderful uh, I'm alright let's uh, let's just leave it at that average, average. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to be taking up a lot of the episode because um, I just wrote a lot basically and it's I think it's a bit of a kind of, I don't know, I've taken some quite big quotes out of a book that I'd like to read as well because I think it's quite sweet. But basically, I had heard once someone say they thought that the wind in the willows, the relationship between Molly and Ratty, Mm -hmm. was a way for the author to describe the kind of gay relationship that he wanted to have. Yeah. And then I, I tried Googling that. I was like, Wind and the Willow's gay? Question mark. <laughs> and it came up with loads of stuff about how it's a gay manifesto. Oh, Ratty and Molly. I know. And I was like, gay manifesto? That's quite a strong claim. Because the only the only um, association I have with manifesto is like, you know, the Unabomber wrote a manifesto. And like insane people write manifestos on their laptop in, like, in a corner of a dark room where the windows have never been opened. Yeah, I've written this and now you must all have it in your life. Exactly. Um, but it was, so basically there's a retired, retired or what they call emeritus, professor in English and children's literature at Cardiff University, Peter Hunt, who's been researching uh, the author K- uh, Kenneth Graham. I've actually never been able to spell Graham consistently throughout this whole research. <laughs> Graham. Uh, Graham, uh, he's been researching it for a book of his called The Making of the Wind of the Willows. Um, so like I said, he's a, Engle- he's a children and English literature professor. He actually strongly claims that Wind in the Willows is not a children's book, though he does mm. study it because I guess it's quite often put under children's books. Mm. Um, he has called it and has been quoted in many news articles as calling it a gay manifesto. Um, <laughs> I've never heard it being called a gay exactly. manifesto, but I'm so on board. So on board, and it's a poss- possibly a literary, literary exploration of his own latent homosexuality and the kind of life he wishes he could have led. My sources today are um, scholars call, Scholar Calls The Wind of the Willows a Gay Manifesto, which is a Matthew Whitehead article on sbs.com.au, uh, The Making of the Wind of the Willows Review, Toad Ratty and the Manifesto for Gay Living by Catherine Hughes in The Guardian, The Wound in the Willows... Uh, by Robert Minto, LA Review of Books.org. And The Wind in the Willows is a gay manifesto, according to a literary expert by Kashmira Ganda, or Ganda, I think Ganda, ibtimes.co.uk. Now, I also read um, a few different Wikipedia articles on um, Kenneth Graham, on Wind in the Willows, on the guy uh, Peter Hunt, who's the um, professor, and also on a book called Watership Down, which... Um, also comes into this slightly Mm. so i like i said i want to point out manifesto for me the associations were like communism and uh, insane people writing manifestos about how the world is ending because no one really appreciates the intellectualism anymore things like that um but actually i had to look it up Uh, manifesto is just a declaration it's like a publication uh yeah of something uh one can write a manifesto on your own intentions or beliefs um and it's just yeah it's a public, public declaration, not like I was imagining, you know, a gay agenda, perhaps, mm. you might There's say. There's a lot more kind of positive 
manifestos out there these days. I feel like I'm sure there's group, many. Yeah. But I listen to so much true crime that the amount of like insane person manifestos <laughs> I hear about far outweighs the positive manifestos <laughs> I feel like I've it's heard. Like interchangeable with um, mission statement as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, so. Yeah, that's the quote they use, gay manifesto, because I guess it's provocative, right? Mm-hmm. It conjures up an image. Um, and what, like, do you know about Wind of the Willows? What do you know about it? Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Wind in the Willows. Um, I had a very lovely experience going to uh, the National Theatre um, costume archives oh. and uh, the entire rows of all the different Wind in the Willows uh, costumes are just beautiful, you know, those little ears. Oh. Uh, yeah, read, read the books. Um, Definitely a big part of my my childhood literature uh, That's so, history. So um, sweet. Loved the um, the kind of various film adaptations. Mister Toad. I mean, can I still grow up to be Mister Toad? Is yeah, I was actually thinking. I feel like Mister Toad is someone you would really identify yeah, with. I really want a sidecar, or to be in a sidecar. Yeah. Either one. I like his changing uh, obsessions. I actually never read Wind in the Willows. My dad used to um, try and get me to read, you know, classic literature, and Wind in the Willows was one of them. And I always, I remember thinking it was just. A bit soft, mm. I think is going to be the term. <laughs> yeah, I think there was various film adaptations. Maybe it was a, an audio book I'm thinking of that was my main mm. sort of way. I in. think I'm going to read it because from this research, it sounds great. Yeah, it's the manifesto um, that we all need. So if you don't know, Wind in the Willows is a children's book by British author, uh, British novelist Kenneth Graham, and it was published in 1908, which is a long time ago. Well. It focuses on the lives of uh, four anthropomorphised animals, animals acting like people in clothes and things, called uh, Mole, Rat, Badger and Toad. And they live in pastoral Edwardian England. It's very fucking cute. With lots of little, like, really sweet paintings of them, yeah, like, yeah. in a boat and stuff. Narrow boat? Uh, yep, yeah, in yeah. a little um, skull, or whatever they call it, like a little rowboat. Uh, toad, who has multiple obsessions. He has various caravans and, and like, motor cars and things like that. But anyway, Mole or a.k.a. Molly, is an independent, timid, genial, uh, thoughtful, home-loving animal. And the first character that we meet in the story, and then Rat, Ratty, uh, is a, actually a water vole. And he's, but they used to call them water rats. Mm-hmm. Uh, is sophisticated, charming, and affable. And he enjoys a life of leisure. When not spending time in the river, he comes, uh, he composes not very good poetry. Uh, and <laughs> he reads that at various points, I think, uh, in <laughs> yeah. the story. Mr. Toad, or... Uh, Toad of Toad Hall. Toad of Toad Hall, but also... Toady, as you all just have, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, inherited his wealth from his late father. Uh, he's gregarious, well-meaning, mm. but uh, fairly self- selfish, haughty, impatient, and prone to obsession. Haughty, that is a great definition of Mr. Mr. Toad. Toad. He is extremely haughty. Uh, and then there's Mr. Badger, but always just Badger, never Badgy or whatever. Uh, he's stern and consi- but considerate, stoic, and lives in a vast underground set. Mm. So he's the more sort of, yeah, reserved character, a bit more solitary. Yes, he's like the adult in the situation, I think <laughs> of. Um, so he's very, he's much more mature. Yeah, mature gay. So a, a quick, brief explanation of the plot. With the arrival of spring and fine weather outside, the good-natured uh, mole loses patience with spring cleaning. He's fled the, his underground home, emerging to take in the air, and ends up at the river, which he's never seen before. Which is odd, seeing as it seems like he's lived there for years. Uh, <laughs> and there he meets Rat, a water vole, who at this time of year spends all his days in, on, and close by the river. Rat takes Mole for a ride in his boat, and they get along well and spend many more days boating with Ratty teaching Mole the ways of the river, with the two friends living together in Ratty's riverside home. Oh my god, a gay awakening? They move in together. So sweet. A little U-Haul from the, the tunnels of the closet. 
the closet. So now I'm going to read you an extract from the book. And this is the moment Mole first meets Rat. As he sat on the grass and looked across the riverbank, a dark hole in the bank opposite, just above the water's edge, caught his eye. And dreamily he fell to considering what a nice, snug dwelling place it would make for an animal with few wants and fond of a bougie riverside, riverside residence, above flood level and remote from noise and dust. As he gazed, something bright and small seemed to twinkle down in the heart of it, vanished, then twinkled once more, like a tiny star. But it could hardly be a star in such an unlikely situation, and it was too glittering and small for a glowworm. Then, as he looked at it, it winked at him, and so declared itself to be an eye, and a small face began to gradually grow up around it, like a frame round a picture. A brown little face with whiskers, a grave round face, with the same twinkle in its eye that had first attracted his notice. Small, neat ears and thick, silky hair. It was, a wa it was the water rat. Then the two animals stood and regarded each other cautiously. Hello, Mole, said water rat. Hello, rat, said Mole. Would you like to come over, inquired the rat presently. Oh, it's all very well to talk, said the Mole, rather, pr rather pettishly, he being new to the river and riverside life and, and its ways. The rat said nothing, but stooped and unfastened the rope and hauled on it, then lightly stepped into the boat, which the mole had not observed. It was painted blue outside and white within, and was just the size for two animals. And the mole's whole heart went out to it at once, even though he did not yet fully understand its uses. The rat sculled smartly across and made fast. Then he held, out his, held up his forepaw as the mole stepped gingerly down. Lean on that, he said. Now then, step lively. And the mole, to his surprise and rapture, found himself actually seated in the stern of a real boat. It's just very—it's all very romantic. It's, so it's very nice. sweet. Very quick to get in the boat, though, wasn't he? Yeah, he was like, "Oh, a stranger! Please drive me somewhere." He gave me the eye. What a lovely eye! <laughs> neat, very neat ears. I must—I must embark now. Well, we all know that beautiful people are completely trustworthy at all times. Absolutely. They'll never—they'll never try and do you over. Uh, yeah, so it's quite lovely, and you can kind of see that there's some kind of gentle homosexual undertones to the way the two are quite are with each other. Mm. They're very gentle, very tentative with each other's emotions and well-being as well. There's a way that they are with each other that's like uh, much more like a couple than friends, and they live with each other too. Okay, so mm. in that sense, you can kind of see that it could be framed around, a, framed as a way of like a closeted homosexual relationship. Yeah, very um, much a companionship, just yeah, an acquaintance. A, quote companionship um because especially at the turn of the century early 1900s um to begin to explore that kind of uh, like a homosexuality would be very taboo um it was completely illegal to be gay and it's it's like you can see it being a way to kind of frame and work through some thoughts of like well what would it look like if mm. i could you yeah know? also it's okay to write about because they're animals and, and that's they're not human it's fiction or... although yeah, exactly. oscar wilde couldn't really get away with that <laughs> Damn it, he should have put he should water out. He should God have made them animals. Oscar. There are coincidentally not many, uh, no female animals uh, or characters in the story, which is odd because male writers, even if they don't write women well, will usually still have women in their stories. Have one or two. Yeah, uh, because women are in their lives. And I think there's quite a few parallels with another children's book um, called Watership Down, which mm. have you read that? I mean, a lot more death, a lot, a lot less. Um, oh, yeah, it's like, it's a lot more violent. <laughs> Harrowing, yeah. If um, you haven't been harrowed by Watership Down, I don't think you were born in the 90s. Well, I read it only a few years ago, so I wasn't harrowed by it. I was like, oh, oh. they're having a fun adventure. Oh, no. So I didn't have a... Um, oh, well, that's even worse. Well, the thing is, I, I knew they died. Okay. I knew there was death going in. <laughs> You know, so I don't know. It was watership down. The animals of Farthingwood. All the things. That oh, I that one was what pretty I was not awful. prepared for as a child. 
Sorry about and that. And gully. They just don't set you up for these things. Nature is pretty savage, to be honest. Anyway, uh, Watership Down was published in... It was much later, so it was in 1972. It's about a community of male rabbits who seek to leave their home warren to find some space and more happiness. And it's an all-male cast. They have a deep, very deep, very meaningful and gentle male male friendships. Okay, different kinds of representations of masculinity as well, or feminine masculinity too, show, which shows a side to male friendship that's not very regularly talked about. It can be very tentative, sensitive, and lovely, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's gay. There are, um, like I said, no women main characters in Watership Down, but they do exist in the world. So they talk about them having... Um, kittens uh mm. baby baby rabbits down in the warren and they're there and they do all the digging of the warrens the males don't do the digging so they're a very important part of the story and richard adams as far as i can tell from my reading he was not queer um from what i can see and the uh, and, the, and the friendships in that book watch it down don't go quite as far as molly and ratty there's one particular moment that peter hunt the original uh, the scholar that I spoke about at the start that he points to as a kind of very queer moment, a very gay moment mm. um, between Molly and Ratty. So they're out on an adventure with Toadie who's obsessed with caravans at this point and they've travelled far from the river that Ratty loves so much. Toad heads, up, uh, Toad heads off the bed, I think, because I read this section just to get the context because he, he basically, in the articles I was reading, they quoted a line out of context and I was like, that could literally be anything. That doesn't necessarily mean gayness. So I read the section, and uh, Toad, I think, goes off to bed and tells them, oh, you know, talk well, I'll talk about whatever. I know you like the river so much, why don't you talk about the river, basically. Mm. And Rat says, I don't talk about my river, replied the patient Rat. You know I don't, Toad, but I think about it. He added pathetically in a lower tone. I think about it all the time. The mole reached out from under his blanket, felt for the Rat's paw in the darkness, and gave it a squeeze. I'll do whatever you like, Ratty, he whispered. Uh, shall we run away tomorrow morning? Quite early, very early, and go back to our dear old hole in the river. And I think that, like, having this sense of wanting to run away from the world, we've mm. talked about quite a lot before. Mm. You know, feeling like you don't belong where people are putting you and wanting to get back to a place where you feel comfortable. And, you know, this isn't necessarily a, an exclusively queer experience, but mm. I think that it is, it's very central yeah. to the queer experience of being pushed into places, into shapes, into being ways that we don't want to be and that don't feel right. And so this is kind of, to me, it seems like quite a reflection of that, of being like, I don't belong here, I just want to go home. Yeah. You know? But that still being said, what does that really mean about the author that he's written this? That, you know, maybe he's even, yes, maybe the characters are gay, but does that mean that he's gay? Mm. So it's a slightly touchy-feely emotional book about a rat and a mole in a fictional Edwardian England and does it, yeah, does it imply anything mm. at all? Um, there is a very sophisticated adult nature to the relationship that Ratty and Molly have, which goes through cycles of rupture and repair over and over and is dealt with in very mature ways and not in a kind of way that you'd imagine someone would write about if they were actually writing a children's book. Mm. There's a, quite a good... So they tend to each other's emotional needs, you know? At one point, for example, Mole asks Ratty if they can stop off at his old home. You know, he's living with oh, Ratty yeah, now yeah. and he really misses it and he, Ratty doesn't hear him. And so they just carry on walking and then Mole is so overcome with emotion at missing his own home, his own belongings, that he breaks down crying. And Ratty is trying to work out what's wrong. And when he realises that he'd missed a cue, um, he takes Molly back to his old home and they spend a long time cleaning it, putting it back in order, 
Ratty makes great takes great pains to make sure that he compliments mm. Molly's uh, home. You know, he says, "Oh, it's just a humble hole, whatever." But Ratty's complimenting all his all the things he's collected, the way he's decorated it, and he's really putting it in mm. in the effort to make him uh, sorry in the effort to repair that rupture. Mm-hmm. Once they fixed it all up. Um, Molly is seen to settle down and sleep quite comfortably, and in and to go along with that, like Hunt didn't just read the book and say, "Yep, that's that's gay. Yeah, Those are some gay yeah. rats." But he dug deep into the life of Kenneth as well, um, Kenneth Graham, and he's been discussing his reading and interpretation of it with the Times specifically, which has a paywall. So I was reading an associated uh, article that had read that for me, <laughs> <laughs> and it said he says it's certainly a story of maleness and companionship. And despite Graham being married with a son, Hunt believes that he explored his queerness through the anthropomorphic animal tales, okay? Now, Graham, for a bit of context, Graham died in 1932, which is several decades before the decriminalisation of homosexuality in the UK, which wasn't until 1967. So it was a long way off. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, probably wasn't something he ever thought would ever happen. Uh, Hunt believes the author was exploring um, the life he was unable to lead through his writings, and as far as I can tell, like, Peter Hunt isn't queer. Um, so part of that does give me a slight, slight pause for trusting his judgment, because I feel like, um, as we talked about in the his- queer history of the top hat, there is a way to read historic texts and things in sort of feeling backwards, mm. basically, as a queer person, seeing a reflection of your own queer experience in texts and being able to identify, I think this person was queer because... I can I can relate to these things, mm. and I feel slightly suspicious of someone who's not queer labeling something as queer without having their own emotional context behind it. Mm. Doesn't strictly speaking mean that he can't. Yeah, but it does mean that like unless it's I don't know I feel like unless it's very obvious I feel like I would trust it less. Mm. Um, but maybe that's just me, you know. Also. Uh, Peter Hunt, Wikipedia does say that he, Peter Hunt is likely the world leading expert on Wind of the Willow, so maybe he doesn't know okay, what he's talking so maybe, about. <laughs> yeah, so he's maybe a reliable narrator, but also... Is he, can... a, is he, is he a um, spokesperson for queerness in children's mm-hmm. literature? I don't know. So, Kenneth, what's going on, love? Uh, he was born in Edinburgh, but when he was five years old, his mother died of an infection that she caught during childbirth. Uh, his father was an alcoholic, and Kenneth was sent to live with his aunt and uncle in Cookham Dean in Berkshire, which is kind of like west of London, this kind of downy area uh, with woods and just seems really lovely. Um, they lived in a large but run-down house, uh, but it had lots of grounds, and they used to play on the river and in the quarry woods a lot. One biographer believed these two locations uh, formed the basis of most of the um, settings in mm. Wind of the Willows. Lots of, yeah, lots of rural... Lots of inspiration, lot of, yeah. lots of childhood memories being conjured up in the softness and in the innocence of the yeah. landscape as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to attend uh, Oxford desperately, but he couldn't get in due to how expensive it was, so uh, instead he was placed as a banker in, uh, in the Bank of England as a clerk. And he apparently had a boss that he hated possibly inspiring Mr Toad, and was once shot during a political shooting at the bank, uh, which oh. possibly inspired his hatred of the, quote, weasels and stoats of the lower classes. You know, people coming in and taking and, and sort of mm. causing chaos and havoc. Of the lower classes? Yes, so apparently he's really uh, classist, and mm. that comes across quite strongly. And he also, what comes across as well in some of his writings is that he is, he either hates women or he is terrified of women. 
he married so he got married he did get married okay he wasn't he, <laughs> even though he was terrified even though he was terrified about it and even though he like yeah even though he was terrified of it and despite his apparently latent homosexuality he did get married because that was kind of the done thing but he mm-hmm. didn't get married until he was 40 years old okay. so he really weighed that yeah, out he held out and he had one child he had a, a little boy that he nicknamed mouse Kenneth used to tell his son bedtime stories about the characters that uh, inspired by people in his lives as animals or, you know, yeah, fictitious nice. animals. Not Definitely not inspired by people I know, you know, that kind of way. And um, having adventures on the river, in the countryside. And um, later, when they were living apart more, he would write the stories to him in letters that his mm. wife then published uh, posthumously for him. That's why... Um, in one of the sources I was reading, they were saying that it's, it's quite, um, not periodical, but it's like the chapters are quite self-contained. Mm. So they're like individual um, adventures. And it was only later that he kind of started to tie it up and wrote yeah. like a kind of beginning and an end. Okay. You know, because, um, yeah, there's the assumption in quite a lot of them that they already know each other. Yes, yeah, so, but actually Mouse, his son, was born blind in one eye. But Kenneth and Elspeth completely refused to acknowledge that he was. I wouldn't talk about it, wouldn't admit, wouldn't talk about it with him or write about it at all. Mm. Um, and just, yeah, treated him as if it didn't exist and also, therefore, not giving him the help that he probably needed. Mm. Yeah. They loved him very dearly, though, and they wanted him to pursue, him to pursue any dream that he had. Uh, but eventually, it seemed like they were going a bit too far with it. Yeah. You can be too liberal with kids. They do need some boundaries. Um, but basically, they sent their son to Oxford, which was... You know, Kenneth's dream, yeah, not yeah. his son's dream, maybe. And Kenneth just, uh, and his son Mouse did not do very well. Right. And in the end, he lay down on the railway tracks and let a train run over him at 19 years old. Okay. Which is very, very tragic. And so that's, you know, that's when, like, he had a yeah. real crisis when his son died. And it was very sad. Mm-hmm. But while his family was young, while his son was still alive, they lived in, his son and wife lived in Cookdean, Cookham Dean in Berkshire, where he'd grown up, you know, in the lovely um, mm-hmm. countryside. But Graham lived in London with a male friend called uh, Walford Robertson, who was also a friend of Oscar Wilde. So the two men, Kenneth and Walford, just shared a flat together in a companionship. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they have, like, oh, and uh, Waltham, uh, Walford was a painter, an artist, okay? Okay. So he probably knew Oscar Wilde through the kind of artistic scene and uh, Oscar Wilde being known to associate with other queer people, mm-hmm. um, as we all do. Magnificent parties. And, exactly, yeah. get us all together. Um, but I'm not saying that being friends with Oscar Wilde makes you gay, but he was known to associate with, you know, mostly other queer people, but also very rich people. And I don't know, would you call them aristocrats or just like well-to-dos? I think dandy is Dandies. Definite, like, definite. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's, there's this idea like, like... Yeah, gay aristocracy. Yes, gay aristocracy is a great way to put that. And I was thinking about this, because you know when you're watching uh, something, there'll be a gay character, a queer character in it. I don't know any queer person that that associates just with straight people. Like, I can go days, weeks, sometimes months without seeing a straight person, you know? (laughs) And so for Oscar Wilde to just be constantly surrounded by other queer people makes total sense mm-hmm. he wouldn't be in isolation and so you know there's a very good chance that Walford was one of those queer people that he found mm-hmm. and took under his wing or whatever mm-hmm. and then he met Graham and they had um, Kenneth Graham and they had a wonderful life in London living alone in London though while his life lives in the country isn't again a sign that you're gay because actually 
it's very it was very common and is actually still very common for people to commute to London, stay in London for mm-hmm. the working week and then go home for the weekend, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, still could be a very gay thing to do if you're gay. Yeah. It's definitely gay. <laughs> if you're gay, anything you do is gay. If you're gay, then it's gay. Exactly. Um it could be that they were together and that it, he was writing mm-hmm. these stories about the beautiful relationship they had. Yeah. You know? Um it could be that you know, Graham could have been in love with Walford but they may not have been together. Yeah. He may have lived with him and loved him and it might have been not mutual. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so he could have been writing about what he actually wanted to have with this yeah, person. Yeah, the sort of, yeah, fantastical, um, yeah. Because there's, like, biographers say that there's elements of Kenneth in each of his characters and mm. let's say perhaps at different times he is each different character, but Mole, for example, feels very inadequate in the yeah. world. And Rat uh, is an arti- artist and very wonderful and elegant and mm. things like that and there could be in that dynamic the representation of his artist yeah. potential lover and himself the banker that never got to achieve his dreams you know yeah and you can see how that could be reflected i'm sure yeah but i don't know we, we can only speculate i think that makes you know that does make wouldn't be the wildest uh, assumption to make or you know presumption i guess exactly and i don't like i can't i can't work it out mm. obviously like i've read few sources compared to Peter Hunt but maybe maybe Graham was gay maybe he was bisexual but he was li- clearly living some kind of double life yeah um half in London half um in uh the country in in what was described in many places as a completely loveless marriage it seems like it was probably a marriage of necessity that mm-hmm. you had to marry at the time or you would yeah. be a confirmed bachelor yeah which means gay and it's not to say that there wasn't you know there wasn't there wouldn't be affection there or you know or you know, a companionship of sorts, but yeah, you just couldn't, you couldn't articulate or at least publicly articulate any other desires or, you know, especially homosexual tendencies. So that just wasn't, wasn't an option. So it's never good, you know, unless somebody was found out and that it had, there's criminal records, mm. you know, it just w- wouldn't have been discussed or documented. So that's what's interesting is that he left his job at the Bank of England quite suddenly and with a reduced pension, so from £700 a year to £400 a year. Um, and there's a, a, a belief that probably one of the reasons that he ended up retiring very suddenly is because he was outed to his boss, right. who then just terminated his um, job immediately. Yeah. But again, that's an assumption. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no like evidence saying, like, caught, uh, suspected of being a big gay it's mm. just like he 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 was fired very suddenly so what could that be about oh maybe it's also gay and he was never arrested it's not on his his arrest record saying that he was ever arrested for what they used to call gross yeah. indecency and i actually think like for the t- period that he's writing about it was um you've mentioned it before that the arts were a much more um revered career for men so moly moly and ratty being on the river, being gentle and sort of reading poetry to each other and mm. and this, although now that looks quite, that can be viewed as quite an effeminate, I'm not sure what the word is, uh, maybe a bit too emotionally intimate for friends, which I don't think is true, mm. but like for, for male friends, as some researchers may, may view it, yeah. I don't think for the time that would have been at all unusual. Yeah. People used to go um, with their diaries to parties and read out extracts from their own personal yeah. diaries because... The reason people would journal was because they knew they'd read it to people because they thought it was an important um, document to keep. Yeah. 
And so I think that because he was taught, he read these, he made these stories up for his child, there easily could be a subtext in it that Kenneth Graham didn't realise he was putting in. Yeah. You know, there's no reason to say that we are not influenced by the things in our lives that are going on. Even if we consciously try not to be writing about them, they do influence us, right? Even just the way a certain phrase is used, you might associate it with the person in your life that says that phrase the most Mm -hmm. often. You know, you can't do anything in a vacuum. And if he was secretly gay and wanted to live with his friend on the riverside and have, like, cute little boat times, then that that was his happy place. Yeah. And when he was trying to create a happy place for his child, like, Shh, go to sleep, everything's fine, his instinct was go to go to his own. Yeah. This is which better... was, one day, I'll live a life yeah. open and free with my lover, my male lover, yeah. and that will be it. That will be beautiful. Yeah, this will be my... This is a dream, and this would be, a you know, a safe, comfortable existence. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... Yeah. I think for me... Probably the thing that mostly, like, sells it mostly is that they move in together. Yeah. Ratty and Molly. There's no reason, really, for them to do that because Molly has a perfectly nice home. Yeah. Underground that he loves and <laughs> misses. Loves, yeah. And uh, that moment of them, him reaching out, holding his hand yeah. and saying, let's run away. Let's do that. that. That has, like, a real moment of, like, eloping. Yeah. Like, a sense yeah, of eloping yeah. to me. Like, equally, it's not gay to hold hands with your male friends. In some cultures, it's very common for men to hold hands walking down the street, their male friends. Mm. Um, it's just not very common in England, you know, in the UK. It's not sexual in any way. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of cultures where you know, kissing and hugging and embracing is is very common. And but but you're right, pastoral England is probably not one of them. And yeah, you know that can, and whether it was you know an idol idolization that you know was related to kind of I don't know. Effect, you know more I don't know sexual or other you know or intimate affection mm. it doesn't really matter because that's still you know that's still the desire and the dream yeah. you know to have a close you know physical um, affectionate friendship with with somebody who you're completely comfortable with and trust mm. and they've got you know they've got your back and you know whether it's eloping or whether it's just yeah on an adventure because yeah time, if like, it is a, if it is a companionship it's one of those ones that is quite intense and you never really know if it is kind of a relationship yeah. or not. It's, it, go, it goes over a line of pure friendship. Yeah. And like you said, like in Pastoral England or like in Edwardian England, I don't, from my understanding, physical affection between anybody was super weird. Mm. Like it was not really accepted. Like people would hu- wouldn't even hug their kids. They wouldn't nurse their own kids. They yeah. wouldn't like kiss their wives for affection. They wouldn't hold hands. They would just, like it was a, a much more prudish or like certainly outwardly mm. much more prudish and you know everyone knows that despite outward appearances everyone was still kind of fucking on the sly and like doing dirty things here and there but the like upstanding gentleman wouldn't touch anybody else no mm. no no mm. and to then say molly reached out and squeezed his friend's hand that is a very intimate is gesture intimate. yeah it's a it's a real like moment of of understanding and and that kind of friendship to you know to be non-verbal it's a like a level of understanding and connection between the two characters mm. to just be like i've got you and it's okay mm. and yeah i mean that's you know there so it's incredibly many... mature yeah it it's is it's a very mature thing to do it is yeah and though i've seen like you know um and it's not like oh you know their arms brushed you know together and, <laughs> and there's they lots tingle. of tension yeah it's just like no you know 
he gripped his you know he gripped his hand and yeah he felt his friend's hand and he knew that that was what he needed to do and you know in adventure time there's uh have you seen adventure time yeah uh, so jake the talking dog at one point is getting scared and he says maybe we should hold hands for safety uh and jake says yeah sure and he, he doesn't say like uh no, anything on. about being yeah. weird or anything like that because it's like it's a kid's show and it's trying to demonstrate healthy friendship yeah. like healthy ways to express that i need support and comfort um, but one of the things about Ratty and Molly is that it is unspoken and he just goes straight for the handout as if it's something they've done before, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I kind of agree with um, Peter Hunt that it's not it's not really a book aimed at children. Mm. When I read back, when I was reading through the extracts, like, the language is very mature. Maybe yeah. that was because of the year it was published in, but, yeah. like, it's not language that I would have not talking down read to as a kid. Kids. I think, it, you know... The yeah, not talking va- down to kids as kids. The core kid. values in it are just pretty solid like wholesome friendships um you know some great you know hilarious adventures but Mm. also you know shenanigans galore there are some real shenanigans um i just don't think it's a manifesto for gay living i think it's a manifesto for very sweet cute countryside living yeah but that's not strictly speaking gay no but you know gays can take we can just also be there we can also be there um yeah i don't yeah i don't think it's i don't think it matters if if the story is is good and um, you know the message is is what it is. Then um, yeah. everyone can get on board with it. And I, yeah, I absolutely loved, I absolutely loved the the books, um, the book and the films um, when I was when I was growing up. And I think it, oh, I really want to reread it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, I'm going to see if I got a, um, a copy at my parents' house where I'm going this evening, because it sounds it sounds delightful. Yeah, it sounds so sweet, and I'm. The summary is just that I don't think I don't think it's a very gay thing. It's certainly not as gay mm. as a picture of Dorian Gray or anything like that. It's not overt. Maybe it. Maybe he just doesn't doesn't know how to write women, like, yeah. or maybe he doesn't like. Maybe his fear of women because his mother died when he was young, like, means that he doesn't feel safe mm. around them. So all in his happy place, he's got this. He's got this all male companionship. He's of, writing about what he knows. Yeah. And yeah, and also yeah, that is the happy place. Yeah. And, and biographers were saying that you know each of these characters, not just Molly and Ratty, but also Toad and Badger, could all equally be different elements of um, Kenneth Grimm's own personality. Yeah, of himself. That yeah. I was so it could say. just be all, you know, four parts of himself, all being happy and safe in this mm. world. You know, because um, nothing, nothing of consequence really ever happens. Yeah. And you always go back, it's period. It's um, episodic, you go back to the start, everything's fine at the end of every episode, you start again, as if it never happened, you know? Mm. And it is like he's just taking parts of his himself there to kind of, not to heal them, but just to like, what, what am I trying to say? It's like, like it can play out, you know, you're, you're seeing, you're imagining it, yeah, through the writing and through the story, you know, letting it, letting the story, the plot get lost and... Yeah, visualizing, yeah, a more ideal kind of future and yeah. letting it play out. I think being, yeah, being a parts of himself, like so many different elements. But you draw from, you know, of course you draw from people you know as a writer. Yeah, of course you draw from your own experiences. Of course you draw from your dreams and desires and fantasies. That's like the beautiful thing about exactly. literature. It's a place where it can all come together. And yeah, unless you've got a really mean editor like why wouldn't you want all those no exactly you know beautiful moments to to play out for children or otherwise yeah exactly and equally like 
the three, the four different parts, if they're all four different parts of the personality, like there is such acceptance for those different parts. And it's a place where all of those versions of him are okay to be mm. rather than having to have this always stoic outward persona like badger for yeah. example is yeah, like yeah. his kind of public persona yeah but he has all these other like kind of you know toad is quite off unhinged mm. and then ratty is like very emotional very tentative and then molly is so like he's quite he's almost like a bit like eeyore like quite yeah, depressed yeah, yeah. quite like self uh dep- de- de- deprecating yeah definitely. and just like but those they they're protected by his by badger by this external mm. hardness um but he still has those tentative sides yeah, to yeah. him and they still needs a place inside his head to be in order for him to be okay yeah. um so yeah that's what, i think that's probably what i think is going on i think yeah. i'm much less convinced that he was um writing about like gay living manifesto is quite a strong it's very strong, strong for that book yeah. you know that's definitely i don't think this is his manifesto yeah. i think yeah we can apply that maybe later as like what we wish the gay manifesto looked like or oh you know, man yeah can, you know maybe you know the the entries <laughs> the entries are open for for uh, applications for the gay manifesto and that could definitely be a contender definitely it would be up there yeah it, it would be so way up there but i don't think it's the I don't think it's like, yeah, I don't think that's why he wrote it, basically. Yeah. I think you've definitely got some, you know, some, like, archetypal characters, Yeah. I think. Um, and, the, you know, definitely Badger and, and Toad being very kind of extreme ends of the spectrum. And yep. Whereas Molly and Ratty kind of sit in that more, but, you know, a bit more balanced, realist, a bit more realism mm. as you can get. Uh, realistic in the sense. <laughs> With animals that talk and wear clothes. Exactly, yep. yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all the depictions of Toad being this very... I you know I reckon a toad equivalent is is definitely exists you know someone living in a big house with all their motor cars tweed suits. I was thinking about the fact that I sent you that picture of that penny farthing I saw on sale, <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, Daisy, you do relate to Toad Toad Hall. Was you're like, should I buy should I should buy I? a penny farthing? So for context, Hannah sent me um, a picture of a penny farthing that is on sale in real life. Uh, very close to our house but it's like a modern penny farthing so it's got like a comfortable seat Mm. and it's like lower down it's got the one big wheel and one tiny weeny little wheel it could be magnificent handlebars like it could be a reality it could for me it could own a penny people i mean to be honest yes it's a ridiculous bike yes but many people own tandems and they are also very ridiculous also ridiculous also those sort of bikes where you have children in the sort of they're ridiculous that's basically a penny farthing where the child is the back wheel yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, exactly. like let's be real here. <laughs> I was talking about the ones with the sort of box on the front as oh, well. Okay, yeah, also but that, that is just, you know sending out your child uh, into the road first into danger. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like you can deal with that first. Yeah, uh, well, it's but... like I think of those like you're ferrying around your kids like they're bread. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> little loaf children. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but I think, but honestly, I really want you to get the penny farthing. Yeah. I have spent that. That's the same price as the rollerblades that I bought. Okay, for context, yeah, I think. Okay, mm. it's about half the price of the TV that we have in the house. Mm, okay, which is also very good context. I think it is an investment, uh, even for just you know my whacking social, out of parties. Even for just the yeah the <laughs> the social media presence boost uh, I may get from just riding it once down oh, the street. Can you imagine by the river in Cambridge? Um, living my pastoral dream. Could we dress you up as Toad of Toad Hall and put you on it? Oh my god! You know, because um, Daisy bought oh, a book oh. of um, fancy fancy cycling. Is it called? Yes, fancy yeah. cycling. 
we um, which is a, a book of fancy cycling poses uh, in Victoria. Yeah. Well, like ladies in very long dresses and petticoats yeah. doing silly cycling poses, you know, no feet, no hands, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ridiculous So positions. I'm imagining that, but with Daisy dressed as Toad mm. from to- Toad from Toad Hall, flat cap, a uh, little waistcoat and everything, those big old billowy trousers that oh, yes. come in just above, yeah, yeah, just yeah. below the knee, long socks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever shoes they wear, I can't remember, buckles perhaps. Yes, maybe some loafers. And then just like beside the cam. Yeah. I mean, you know, on the stage at the RVT. At the National, also that. Uh, cycling around the Tate, I can be a queer exhibitionist. Um, um, that's not what that means. Yeah, so we were derailed, but I think that that should happen. Yeah, I think I'm just we, saying. we'll definitely start a poll for this. I think it's a, it's a nice dream to have, and I think it hurts nobody except maybe my wallet. I mean, but even then, not very much. I think it's an investment. I don't think it's, I think an, it's investment. an investment. Definitely. <laughs> I think I am invested in it yeah. <laughs> enough. Okay, so what if we if we do... I know you've done a personal poll on your personal Instagram, but if we do a, a Radio Zaddy poll yeah, okay. to get a, at least, you know, best of two... Mm, I think I should go down for a, a wee test ride and then yes. uh, base the poll off. Did I tell you where it is? Is it Cycle King? Uh, that's the one with all the second-hand bikes. Yeah, 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 yeah it's there. Okay. I know. Anyway. I can spot their, their <laughs> tags. <laughs> all right. Okay, perfect. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been Radio Zaddy uh, with me. Oh, wait, hang on. Social media. Where can they get us on social media you to can... vote in the poll? Oh, my goodness. If you want to take part in our poll, please follow us on uh, Radio Zaddy, uh, X-A-D-D-Y, and radio spelt in the traditional way. Um uh, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Twitter, uh, and you can find us on our website, uh, which is at WordPress, and you can get there from our anchor site, uh, yes, Radio Zaddy, on all uh, places where podcasts uh, are found. Exactly. So, I'll do it again. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Hannah Bestwick. Thank you very much. I've been Daisy Thurston-Gent. We'll see you next time. See you later, maybe, on a penny farthing. See you later. Bye. <laughs>